This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Angrez apna lagan aur news laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. We are bringing you hafta from our new studio with new lights and all that. The full episode is only available on audio for subscribers only. So all you Mufat khors about time you subscribe and pay to keep news free because unless you pay for news advertisers will and that doesn't always end up in your favor. So on that note let me first introduce the panel. We are recording Hafta episode 374 on a Thursday afternoon on the 31st of March at 3:15 in the late afternoon. Joining me in the studio is Manisha Pandey. Hi Manisha. Hello. She's back after a week's leave. Raman Kripal. Hi. Uh, also joining I us. Came back last week only, yar. <laughs> But you weren't here for last Hafta. No, you I, came back I this was, week. I, I was there last Hafta. No, you weren't. You weren't. No, no, okay, I was. She's no, confused. You, okay. you had gone. Oh no, I wasn't there. You were smoking okay, ganja yeah. somewhere clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so joining us in the studio is Pooja Mehra. Hi, Pooja. Hi. Pooja is a, a journalist. Uh, you have seen her on Hafta before a couple of times. She has had a reporting career of 17 years. She was formerly a senior deputy editor at the Hindu. She's won the Ramnath Goyanka Award for excellence in journalism in 2019. 2009, sorry, 19. Bol raha. Uh, and she's also written the book The Lost Decade 2008-18 How India's Growth Story Devolved into Growth Without a Story Welcome Pooja Thank you Also joining us from not inside the studio uh, is our very own Jayashree Hi Jayashree Join us from Chennai And joining us is our Ramkumar Hi Ramkumar uh, Ramkumar is he's an economist and a writer he's a professor with the Tata Institute of Social Sciences he's been a contributing writer for the Indian Express Ram Kumar has analyzed the Sri Lankan crisis and done a series of threads on Twitter explaining it. Welcome Ram Kumar. Uh there's lots to explain for our viewers. The last few episodes of Hafta have been so much about Kashmir files and Hindu Muslim and this that and the other we thought let's focus on an issue that actually impacts everybody's pockets. Uh so that is where we are. And also while Pakistan has been spoken a lot about on mainstream media, Sri Lanka hasn't got that kind of space. Yes. So it'll be interesting to know. So uh, let me uh, go across to Ram first. Uh one is what's happening in Sri Lanka. I just read a bit on it this morning. Uh and the economist has a piece saying that uh one was uh, maybe you'll have more details I'm sure you will that a very significant chunk of their you know GDP came from tourism and first it was done by covid and then I didn't know a very large chunk of the tourism comes from Russia. and then the war did the rest of it in so that's from this morning <laughs> the economist's podcast i was like oh wow i don't remember seeing any russian uh tourists in sri lanka but probably uh, there's one corner of sri lanka where they do uh you know flock the place but a uh, how much of it is mismanagement b how much of it is just bad luck and c is this one of those situations which uh i remember back when i was in school and college uh you know that ipkf why does india have to send someone in uh, if we don't go in china will come in the same thing with the ports i believe in sri lanka the ports are being taken over by china and you know if india doesn't go in china will go in are we looking at some sort of a geopolitically significant intervention or this is just a quick little pause okay so this crisis in china uh, in sri lanka that we see uh, is very complicated in because it There's a number of factors leading up to it, historical and contemporary. The dominant narrative in India is related to China. That China has uh, trapped Sri Lanka into some kind of a debt trap, and that's why Sri Lanka is in this kind of trouble. 
In my view, that's far from truth. Uh, it's the product of uh, a motivated campaign, uh, possibly aided by some interested sections. If you look at uh, the total foreign loans that Sri Lanka has taken, only less than 10% comes from China. And there is a detailed case study of the Hambantota port, which you can uh, look at in the literature, which will basically tell you that uh, Sri Lanka actually gained foreign exchange to the tune of $1.2 billion and did not lose anything when the debt trap actually came. Hambantota port was actually leased for nine 99 years into a, uh, for a, to a Chinese group. And the Chinese group actually paid $1.2 billion to the Sri Lankan government, which it used to add to its foreign exchange reserves. So it did not lead to a foreign exchange problem. If at all, it eased its foreign exchange problem. So, so this Chinese uh, role is uh, thoroughly overplayed, uh, in my view. This is primarily to hide a few other players who have contributed significantly to exacerbating the Sri Lankan crisis. The Sri Lankan crisis is certainly historical. Historical in the sense, here is a country, uh, like for example, a state like Kerala in the southern part of India, uh, the British uh, introduced new crops into the cropping pattern, coffee, tea, rubber, coconut, etc. And when the country became independent in 1948, about uh, three-fourths of its GDP was being contributed by these primary commodity exports. Now, typically a country as it develops over a period of time will come out of this kind of a developmental pathway. But that was not to be the case in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka failed to move out like many African countries or many Latin American countries, move out of the orbit of this primary commodity exports led economic development. Over a period of 50 to 60 years, if you see, a only a few changes have happened to the economic structure of this country. There was primary commodity exports, there is still primary commodity exports, tea, rubber, coconut, etc. Garments and their export get added to it, tourism gets added to it, and remittances get added to it because a lot of Sri Lankan workers work across the globe, including in many European countries, and they send home a lot of money. So all of, so basically here is a country which lives by the export of primary commodities, tourism, and remittances. These three give it foreign exchange. Using this foreign exchange, it imports rice, wheat, pulses, meat, milk, fish, whatever it wants to eat. It also uses these dollars to buy whatever intermediate goods it requires in the non-agricultural sector. This is the uh, simple skeleton of the Sri Lankan economy and how it functions today. It is in this context that the crisis has come. Sorry. No, Sri Lanka imports fish? Well, to an extent, because Sri Lanka has not yet adequately invested enough to uh, meet its own fish requirements. A lot oh, of fish comes crazy. from Indonesia and that uh, uh, Eastern Asian parts uh, countries. It's still not fully sufficient in fish production. So right. here, basically, this is the historical uh, factor that has been the context for this particular crisis. Sri Lanka has been extremely vulnerable to whatever happens across the globe because of this kind of an economic structure. Now, there was this long war which ended in 2009, after which Sri Lanka comes out. But then that's also a very bad time because that's when global commodity prices start falling uh, from about 2011 or 12. When the global commodity prices start falling, 
Sri Lanka enters into another crisis because exports are not fetching enough foreign exchange reserves as in the past to buy its adequate buy what is required in the consumption side. So the foreign exchange situation worsens. In 2015 and 16, uh, Sri Lanka is actually forced to go in for an IMF loan. Now, remember, this is the this is the point to underline here. The role of China is being overplayed to hide the role of the IMF. The loan that Sri Lanka received in 2016 was the 16th IF, IMF loan that Sri Lanka received after 1965-66. 16th IMF loan. Each of these 16 loans from the IMF were linked to conditionalities where Sri Lanka was asked to cut its budget deficit, open it up to foreign capital, uh, slash food subsidies, the typical Washington- The usual, yeah. Hmm. Uh, recommendations. And that role is completely being sidestepped by this China, playing up this China factor. The 16th loan was the la last loan that they took, it, uh, went from 2016 to 2019. The recommendations were almost the same, but then they failed. The economy slided, uh, slid down again. GDP growth rates did not rise. Investment did not rise. Foreign exchange reserves continued to get depleted. And then two shocks come in 2019, the April Easter bombings of churches and hotels in Colombo in 2019 leads to a huge fall of tourists. And then in 2019, December, a new government of Gotapaya Rajapaksa uh, does something completely irrational. Uh, well, the first thing that it did, second was the organic farming thing that it did later. But in 2019, December, they cut VAT taxes by uh, from 15% to 8%, abolished a number of other taxes, et cetera, which basically almost halved the total revenues of the state uh, from VAT and so on. So tourism revenues came down, foreign exchange reserves depleted even further. Then came the VAT reduction and government revenues again fell. And then COVID. Then COVID came in three, four months. Right? right. So the bad became worse. So, so again, tourists fell, again, exports fell, again, foreign exchange uh, reserves depleted, and then it walked into yet another balance of payments crisis, which is what we are seeing now. So, okay, uh, the, you know, Pooja, you also report on economy and are a business journalist, broadly speaking. Uh, a, how much of what Ramkumar said, as far as the Washington consensus is concerned, uh, you know, would you say, is it to blame? And just for our listeners, the data that I've just pulled out is about 13% of, uh, as of 2019, of Sri Lanka's GDP comes from uh, tourism. So that is straight away gone. There's not a single tourist coming in. So that is a huge fall. Uh, and from the geopolitical point of view, <clears throat> is this one of those situations where there will be pressure, whether imagined or genuine or contrived, for India to get in. Because if India doesn't get in, China will get in. Is there any of that that could play out going forward? I'll answer the second question first. You see, what happens is that when China um, was invited by Sri Lanka uh, to build the Hamantota port or many such other projects, uh, and uh, this was on debt, uh, and Sri Lanka could not repay that debt because of various problems that Ram Kumar has explained and certain other that I will, in the course of answering your first question, uh, 
so when they could not repay that debt, uh, 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 China forced them to convert this into a 99-year lease. Now, what the 99-year lease does is that neither you're going to be alive nor I'm going to be alive. But 10 years later, China will come and say, oh, you still owe us money for something and you're not paying us back. Okay, now let's do a lease on this. Let's do a lease. So uh, in dibs and raps, they will end up uh, reducing the sovereignty of Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka uh, geographically is located in a position, where, uh, in a place where uh, that could mean a, a national security threat for India. It could also mean an economic security threat for India because 75% of the shipping um, operations that go on on the Colombo airport are for all the trade that comes to India. So, you know, Sri Lanka is very important strategically for India for both economical and national, uh, economic and national security reasons. And therefore, when China goes and invests in ports which have no commercial value, the Hamantota port has no commercial value at all. It was unviable from the first day it was even thought of. Then why has China gone and invested and built this this port, which they know Sri Lanka will never be able to repay? So therefore, all the concerns about the geopolitical concerns are not imagined. They are quite genuine. And India should uh, be concerned and India should bail out or, and help Sri Lanka to the extent possible. Because it's in India's own security interests. Uh, on the first question, I don't have ideological positions for or against China or uh, IMF. Uh, just looking at the facts of the matter, the point is that Sri Lankan economy is going through a huge macroeconomic crisis. And the crisis has historical reasons and reasons which, are uh, which come out of the structure of the economy, like how uh, Ram Kumar explained. But also, uh, you know, uh, Sri Lanka is not the only economy in the world that has relied on IMF of packages over the years to come out of uh, economic crisis. India did too. Uh, Sri Lanka is not the only economy with this kind of economic structure that has been hit by COVID. A lot of other countries have been too. So what is peculiar to Sri Lanka that has uh, put them into in, in such a grave crisis? I, I think what is peculiar uh, to Sri Lanka is that this is a completely policy-induced crisis. It's the, it's the biggest economic disaster, I think, so far uh, in the last many decades in the world uh, because of policy errors by the government, uh, uh, one of which includes um, uh, inviting uh, you know, countries like China to build uh, infrastructure on, on sweet terms. Uh, Worse and than Libya and Venezuela? Uh, I haven't studied those two economies as well to be able to uh, compare. Uh, and I, I, I don't uh, say anything unless I'm very sure of what I'm saying. But uh, so to talk about Sri Lanka, uh, uh, I, let me give you a personal example. You know, if, you, if you've been to Colombo for a holiday, you would have seen, you would have been to what is called the... Uh, Independent Square Arcade. Have you? Ha uh, Where all the gap shop, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the Independent. Where everybody buys. Yeah. Ten so years the Independent Square Arcade hmm. was a, a mental asylum uh, that the British had built. Uh, and the last time when uh, uh, Rajapaksha was Defence Secretary, uh, he thought of how to convert this into a state of the uh, uh, in, into a into a posh shopping arcade using government funds. So they used government funds to and the resources of the state, the Sri Lankan Navy, the Sri Lankan Army, send them to overseas countries to study how the architecture could be restored, how uh, you know a, a, a completely 
posh shopping arcade could be built and it, it's beautiful you know mm. it, it, they they did it's a very huge. beautiful it's huge and they did a beautiful job of it as wooden floors the flooring the roof the ceilings etc have been restored and you know a lot of money went into it a lot of national resources went into it but once it was ready there were no shoppers because no sri lankans can afford to buy the kind of products that are sold in these malls and this is just one example there are many such projects uh, to which state resources were diverted so and was the thinking to target tourists like was that their main even thinking even if it was iffy? even if it was if you ever if you ever go to this arcade you wouldn't see too many people you i mean you know they can't run packed. it was never commercially viable guess, yeah. but like I mean, all but of the, the other infrastructure projects this was also a vanity project which was never commercially viable but the shop the shop owners were not allowed to sh- close shop even even though they were running into losses and through strong arm tactics of strong politicians because this is a vanity project we know where hambantota port is you know whose constituency that is and um Uh, you know these are the kind of sort of you know the tax uh, cut uh, that ram kumar talked talked about uh, these are the kind of sort of policy errors you know the organic farming etc you know that politicians sort of force on their people and uh, things go wrong and then they look for you know who to blame uh, I I I'm not you know if you want to follow an economic policy program uh go by what the domain expert tells you to do do not mix it with your own political calculations uh you know your own personality cult calculations and then say oh you know the IMF did this and China did that and I mean you know okay. so you're saying it was mismanagement by politicians fair enough uh, although uh, like you're right that a lot of um countries have taken IMF loans but the criticism of the IMF of pushing the washington consensus is not new and in fact now even uh, you know former ideological allies like the economist are questioning the narrative that they pushed in the 80s and 90s that uh, also india's aid wasn't without strings i mean i personally am not uh, you know uh, my my politics may be uh, left of center but my economics definitely is not and but i do think that to have such uh, immense market power in a country where a consumer doesn't have the power to push back like i can't take mukesh ambani to court and win 2 million dollars whereas you but can take is, mcdonald's is, to court is is i am responsible for that no, or is india's chronic capitalism it is but what i'm saying is that the transition to market i think has to be preceded by certain consumer reforms empowering the consumer judicial reforms so so, yeah. so, so sequencing is in the hands of Correct, the most i agree but yeah. what i'm saying is it's not I don't think it's a unreasonable. It's not an unreasonable narrative which has no, been acknowledged even by those. Who I think it needs nuance. It's, sure, it it's does. Neither this way nor that way. Right. The reason even I write saying that you know the so-called Washington con- con- consensus needs to be questioned. I mean, who am I to question? Uh, uh, we've seen in both the global financial crisis as well as the current COVID crisis. Uh, uh, you know, e- even the White House is not sort of doing. I mean, you know, they've blown their fiscal deficit mm. uh, uh, to the sky. Uh, uh, their their public debt levels to the sky but there's a difference you know look at their debt sustainability their ability to repay that debt and that of a country like sri lanka or india right. sri and lanka's fiscal deficit is more than 12% of gdp right now mm-hmm. uh, you know their current account deficit is close to 4% of gdp right now uh, even if you do not go to the imf and if you go to anybody who knows basic macroeconomics will tell you that you have to you know take care of these things no, actually, no doubt so about so that. yeah sure. and and, sure. and you know if 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 uh, imf told india in 1991 uh you know that you have to clean
clean up your fiscal mess that you know you have to stop monetizing the debt or you have to you know uh, privatize com- uh, uh, um, uh, your psus uh, which are producing nothing but you know taxpayers are just paying for their salaries that is commonsensical i you know i don't see what is sure. you know it's, the it's sequence yeah, so yeah. i'll come back to you uh, but ram kumar because yeah yeah go ahead yes jayashree go ahead i don't want to jump in on the china um death trap and the port thing because i think atlantic had this um really case piece called the chinese death trap is a myth it basically broke down the entire story of hapentota it pointed out that um i think it was a canadian agency that not china that had financed the entire uh, feasibility study for the port then the central bank governors under both rajpaksa and sirisena had said that hapentota and chinese finance in general and in specific was not the source of financial distress there was also never a default because colombo had arranged the bailout from the imf uh, and then they decided to raise their much needed money by leasing out the very underperforming habendota port to an experienced company which the uh, canadians had also recommended that they do and then they got only two bids i think once they did try ha huh, they got only two bids for that and so they they were both from chinese companies so therefore it was leased out so the entire point of it was that, no, that... that there is this entire sort of slightly propagandized narrative i think uh, of sort of wrongfully portraying beijing and the developed countries that it deals with as being part of this entire nexus but i think specific to habendota that um the atlantic had access to a lot of paperwork that said quite differently no no that's not what i'm saying see uh, in fact when the chinese were first approached they turned down the project you know so that's not the thing the thing is uh, i don't think it is propaganda you have to understand what the chinese strategy is over here uh, i think for me the concern is not whether china is responsible for uh, demolishing or uh, you know uh, damaging the sri lankan economy or not the concern that i am raising is that you know because they are involved in so many projects and the, the terms situation. yeah so, the terms I mean, of the project is such that i mean they own land now in yeah, colombo You, right, you yeah. know so 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 they are creeping yeah, it's, 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 it's a it's creeping like acquisition it's like you know? i mean they haven't caused the political mess in many countries in africa but, but they will definitely take advantage of it for their advantage, for their, so will... which turns out to be a strategic disadvantage sure, i mean a strategic for threat for india yeah. so uh, ram kumar uh, you know on this a uh, from your studies and research work is india aware of it are we acting on this is it a significant risk or threat to us and in a circumstance if you want to weigh in on this at all even briefly uh, where pakistan and sri lanka are spiraling down a mess like they are and bangladesh suddenly is economy doesn't seem to be doing so well also all of a sudden although they gave a line of credit to sri lanka yeah. 200 yes, million yeah so uh, uh, do you have any comments on how we are doing uh, you know just just i was going to come to that on e- on economics without the politics modi ji ne kuch to kare so so yeah no i think the indian position uh, has been uh, sort of a reactive and not proactive in this matter uh, i am not overly concerned about geopolitics uh, india has geopolitical concerns so has china we have ambitions so has china so it's only a clash of ambitions that we are seeing here and if you want to uh, trumpet a patriotic bugle you can but then that's a different matter altogether what i'm trying to say here is that uh, india always have has had an important stake in the politics and economics of sri lanka over a period of time we have had free trade agreements with sri lanka uh, but at some point when the uh, right wing offensive uh, took place in the political scene of sri lanka india lost that kind of a link 
with Sri Lankan politics. That kind of influence that Sri Lanka, India had in Sri Lankan politics uh, has, uh, is, does not exist anymore. That's the gap into which China may have walked in using its economic prowess. And the Hambantota port case, the uh, Sri Lankan port authority first approached United States for a loan. They refused. Then they came to India. India refused. That's when Chinese Exim Bank comes into the picture with a $300 million loan. So uh, it's not that, of course, I mean, if, 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 if they, they came, when came for a loan and they said, okay, we'll give you a loan, that's it. Now, that loan has a particular history. The Atlantic article that Jayashree was mentioning is very important as a case study because they uh, looked at thousands of documents through the Freedom of Information Act in Canada and other countries. So you'll basically see that here was the first proposal, uh, first by SNC-Lavalin in Canada and then by Rambol in, uh, in Denmark. Uh, the idea was that that Humbenporta uh, port would be a non-container port, right? And this was changed by Rajapaksa into a container port. And that change from non-container port to container port meant that yet another $700 million had to be uh, loaned in from Chinese Exim Bank for that phase two of the project, which was obvious to everybody that it is infeasible or unviable. Right. Uh, so basically... Uh, it was Rajapaksa who walked into that dead trap, and I don't see, and I, and I don't, I don't see that there's a difference between dependency and debt trap. Let me draw that line here. Uh, is, is China, is Sri Lanka dependent on China? Probably yes, because that's the only country coming in with loans and investments. India is not. India is offering very little money, either as loan point... or grant to Sri Lanka, and that's not attractive to Sri Lanka. The point is, what is China doing with this dependency? You know, they're slowly and slowly in, sort of increasing their control, uh, if not ownership, of uh, strategic uh, projects and uh, uh, ports uh, in in Sri Lanka, and they are doing it through hundred-year leases. And you know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, how they're going to make use of it? How they're going to increase? Because every twenty years, Sri Lanka will go back, have a crisis, go back to them again. They will use it. So you know, what will happen hundred years because from now is what we are talking cyclical about. Cyclical nature of economics, it's hard to imagine because, it going because, because it's not getting resolved. Yeah, they're it, just it sort won't. of you know, it's a spiral. They're going going down under. Uh, right, they're, they're sinking. For, for for those viewers who have been to Sri Lanka and the mall, uh, uh, you know uh, that we are speaking about. Uh, I don't wear suits, but I was there with a bunch of friends of mine who wear suits. So you get like Hugo Boss suits for like one quarter of their normal price. So I went in Kali Hath and I came out with two, three pairs of Keds. And it's a, <laughs> a, a, a state-owned... But I thought they were so cheap because all this stuff is manufactured in Sri Lanka. Yeah, like a lot and of... And before, a lot of April... Uh, yeah, and before the... You know, like Zara and all the, is yeah, quite stuff, a bit And then of before it goes out, they sell it like really cheap in these, you know, that mall. Yeah, but that so, mall is a, yeah, you know, state project. I mean, sure. you know, so every time you're choosing a mall, you're not building, you know, a, a, a project that will lower your manufacturing costs and improve the productivity of your economy sure. and grow your GDP. But would That's things the have trade been so bad had there been no COVID? Like, do you think COVID was really... So what happens when you take wrong policy decisions is you make your economy vulnerable to black swan events and you know uh, by definition which cannot be you know foreseen and when such such a disaster strikes you you're so thin you have no ability to face up to it and this is pretty much what happened with india we could not give relief india could not give relief to uh, poor people any meaningful relief to poor people because we were already so stretched you know our tax revenues were already so low uh, uh, and this is what happens when you don't keep your you know economy and 
exchequer and good health and then you know these unforeseen events happen and you know it, they just push you you know to the brink all of you listening in the chota hafta do subscribe so you can listen to the entire hafta we will see you again next week with the hafta till then subscribe pay to keep news free because when the public pays the public is served and advertisers pay advertisers served thank you goodbye all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel